reading freaks welcome to episode 28 of the slash innings podcast i'm your host jr and this is where we discuss horror's influence from the silver screen and beyond i'm happy to have a full episode for you this week thank you for bearing with me through the kind of dead air last time uh the topic that's been buzzing around my head these past couple weeks is just the overall horror community this show is such a microcosm of that community that i love and i'm so grateful to be a part of it i think it's the horizon we're on right now of vaccines becoming more available and i'm really just looking forward to conventions being a thing again i want to safely hang out in a group of strangers and chat about our favorite kills or see who i share tattoos with and spend too much time and money waiting in line for an autograph if any of you listening to this see my chubby self there in line or rolling up to one of my hearse please 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 flag me down and say hi i would love to get to chat with you Welcome to this week's episode of the Slashings Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Carlson of Maniac Monsters fame. He is an illustrator, sculptor, Hollywood gorilla man, actor, and general pop culture historian. How's it going, Jeff? Very well, thank you. And yourself? Doing well, thank you. So I know I just gave like the Reader's Digest version of the insane amount of things that you do and work on, but how would you describe what you do? Oh, wow. Um, I'm a monster kid, first and foremost. That's, uh, I mean, everything... Everything comes from a love of uh, late night creature features and staying up and watching things that I wasn't supposed to really be watching. <laughs> so I can I can pinpoint I can pinpoint where the hook was set. Watching a broadcast uh, episode of the Night Gallery um, that made me lose sleep, and it's just been it's it, from from that point on. I was probably six or seven or so. It's just been. It's funny to say that Rod Serling has something that could be considered underrated, but the Night Gallery absolutely is. Like, it definitely sits in the shadow of Twilight Zone, but it really did did dig more into, like, the horror and creepy side of things, more so than Twilight Zone traditionally would. Yeah, you know, I think Night Gallery gets, I think Night Gallery gets a lot of undue criticism because it wasn't trying to recapture lightning in a bottle. Um, I think it was actually very successful in setting out to do exactly what it did. Um, I mean, it was... You know, it was not supposed to be so, you know, like, I don't know, like rocking anybody's social world. You know what I mean? It wasn't trying to make a statement. You know, it was it was pretty much entertainment for its own sake. I think the, you know, little kind of anthology truncated, you know, in a half hour show. It's, I think it's, again, with what they had to work with, I think they, I think it was great. I, uh, I, of course, I love The Twilight Zone. And I just had a conversation about somebody with, in regards to Outer Limits versus Twilight Zone, which is like, also, another unfair conversation to have. There's no comparison. They, they both fill completely and totally different needs and functions. But I, I love it all. I'd rather, I'd rather add more chairs to the table than take them away in terms of, you know, cultural, you know, influence and significance. So. Exactly. And both of those shows definitely opened up the floodgates for anthology television, especially in like the sci-fi horror realm to come from it, because we wouldn't have had Tales from the Dark Side. You wouldn't have had Tales from the Crypt. You wouldn't have had... Um, monsters you wouldn't have any of those shows that kind sure. of followed that same anthology suit yeah. uh, where did you when did you start your brand of maniac monsters um let me see i think it probably started um i bet it could have been 2000 and so, so i've been a commercial illustrator and designer by trade for 35 years and it probably wasn't until about 2007 that I, I made a, something of a concerted effort to kind of like starting to do like a lot of genre, you know, illustration work, monster and horror stuff in particular. Prior to that, I had just been a, you know, freelance, you know, contract for hire, 
Illustrator, where I did a lot of product renderings. And I mean, it was very technical and, you know, kind of dry. There would occasionally be, you know, like a creative project, like a children's book or something like that, you know. But again, like I was, I, you know, I, I was the guy who you'd call to, you know, put pictures with words, you know, or if you had a product that you were trying to sell and you needed storyboards, you know, the, you know, it was very kind of, I call it fork and spoon work. Um, you know, and it was not, you know, it was not anything to romanticize about, but it was, you know, it paid the bills and, you know, it allowed me, it allowed me the opportunity to do, you know, other things on the side, um, which is kind of where the maniac stuff came from. I had always been a fan of that retro kind of like lowbrow, um, sixties revival of the universal stuff. Like in, I don't know, like 63, it seemed like when a lot of new, Universal licenses were starting to kick in and famous monsters had been around for almost five years at that point. You saw you saw a huge influx of the pop culture, you know, um, revival of all of that stuff. And um, the original maniac transfers were images that I had already always known of and have always enjoyed. Um, and I'm trying to think if I was on a classic horror film board or universal monsters, it would have been way back in the, you know, way back in the day online where um, I think I was just I was just part of a conversation that they were talking about the classic six transfers that um, Comagraph had put out. Um, and somebody was just like, well, you know, it would have been great if they would have done more of those. You know, like, those six are great, but, you know, it's too bad they didn't do more. Well, I mean, that was all I needed to hear. I sat down and I did uh, Dr. Fives and a Vincent Price illustration, and the floodgates just opened up after that. Um, I actually... I, had I not done those, had that conversation not happened, and had I not done those initial two illustrations, kind of in the heat of the in the heat of that moment, um, I wouldn't have caught the eye of a buyer for Urban Outfitters, who then hired me to do three licensed illustrations for Jason, Freddy, and Godzilla, um, and then uh, naturally that kind of thing gets a lot of visibility. And it's just kind of been, I don't know, 60, 70 renderings since then in that time. So that's awesome. And it's it's good to see like that kind of coming coming to its own fruition. Like, yes, you were able to do the the fork and spoon work as you described it, but then to have it translate into something that you actually love and enjoy. Like not that you don't love and enjoy the artwork itself, but to be able to take your monster kid love and make that into its own profession sure. is something that anybody in the horror community strives for. And just being able to present that to the world is such a really it, it's a neat treat and sure. it does give that that full retro sort of throwback feel to it like i look at your artwork and it immediately reminds me of the like ec comics ads where it's peel, peel this out for your 3d yep. specs or monster mask faces and i loved sure. all those advertisements and see it now with modern stuff like where they had licensed you for freddie and jason it's just cool to see that kind of come full circle yep any uh somebody seeing it for the first time all of the time you know which i which is what i think is great um and uh, I joke about this all. Whenever I have a new product come out, or whenever I'm pushing something, you know, that's that's new to me or new to my product line, it's always I joke. It's it's appealing to the same sixteen old guys, you know. <laughs> but and that's great. Don't get me wrong, you know, like because I'm one of them. Um, and if I wasn't a fan, I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing it. But um, but for a new, you know, like someone who's coming in, you know, like they're under 20 or, you know, or something. Yeah, I think that's great for me. That's the, that's the sweet spot because I know 
they have a huge world that's getting ready to open up to them as far as like, you know, established work and work that's currently being done, you know, both uh, um, visually and the written word. And I mean, it's just, um, and, and I'm thrilled that within the past 10 years, you know, horror has become, um, I don't want to say legitimized, but I guess it's, you know, like it's never been more, you know, mainstream um, and accessible um, because I came at all of this during, you know, like pre-cable, pre-internet days. I mean, you know, I, I spent all of my um, study halls in the library looking at, you know, uh, making, making a monster book or some kind of, you know, some type of makeup book in the library. I mean, um, you had to do the work, you know, you really had to, you really had to physically pour through the stacks or, you know, you're at secondhand bookstores, you know, leafing through musty magazines, you know, like, and, and whatever you could get your hands on. So, but now, you know, it's so great because everything under the sun is instantly accessible and envious in that way. Um, it's also cool because um, it will expedite whatever the next thing is that much quicker. Exactly. And with horror and sci-fi being such a bottomless pit, the fact that it's at all of our fingertips at any given moment is such a great thing because it allows you to take such a wide range of influence to make whatever your creative endeavor is going to be as a horror fan, just kind of pour it all out from there. Like, cause you're right. And like the pre-internet cable era, you only had what was on TV. If you were lucky to have a show that played horror shows, like up around me, we had creature double feature around then that you could watch late night, but there wasn't a whole lot more then. Now yeah. I can, I can A, go into my stack of hundreds of movies on my shelf over there, just turn on the TV and I have a thousand different streaming services, access to everything at the blink of an eye. I can just type in Vincent Price and most of those movies are public or, um, public domain now. So I can just click them on and they're all right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, I mean, it's all relative, right? I mean, if you, back in the day, if you missed the broadcast premiere of uh, Salem's Lot over those two days, you had to wait six months until it got repeat. Assuming it would get repeated, assuming it was popular enough for a repeat, you'd have to wait. I mean, there was no video store. You know, there was no, I mean, I, there would have been cable at the time, but depending on where you were, you know, regionally or economically, you know, like you may have just had, you know, you may have just had to wait or, or it would have been maybe literally decades before something like that hit tape, you know, or you could rent it or buy it, which was even later, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, um, you think about how, um, again, the, the context of all of this stuff, like how much more, I mean, even when it comes to um, brand new releases, you know, like you used to have to wait how many months before the DVD version of it came out. And now stuff is instantly available theatrically and, you know, for like, you know, home media um, outlets all at the same time. You don't have to wait for anything anymore, you know, like, and I think from my perspective as someone who is you know like constantly pouring over like reference material or you know like i need i need i need information you know like and when i need it i need it um i can't wait until something opens up or you know what i mean like it's it's a um for me it was like i appreciate it because of the difference and it's you know it's extremely helpful for me it gets me where i need to go that much faster so for sure Speaking of things going directly to streaming services as well as theaters, have you seen the new Godzilla versus Kong yet? Yes, we uh, we saw it a day or two after it debuted. I I bought a small digital projector for home, nice specifically for it. And I'm not. Uh, it's it's funny because 
I don't buy a, I don't buy a lot of toys. I have to every little expense I justify um, <laughs> in some way. And I thought to myself, well, you know what? We haven't been in the movies in a year, and it would have been something that we would have done pretty regularly. So I thought, well, you know, I can I can justify the expense of a digital projector for this particular thing, which I felt like needed to be seen large. Um, but yeah, I was and I was thrilled. I mean, uh, it's funny because um, I can recognize the fact that I'm probably I'm probably not really the target audience for it, but I still you know I still enjoy it. Um, I can still I can still remember being at a friend's or a relative's house when the, when the original one was airing on a broadcast TV and they I don't know it probably would have been like my grandparents were playing cards or something and it was on the background it was just like you know it's a it's a you know it's a vis visceral connection that kind of thing that it doesn't go it doesn't really really go away you know it's amazing I had the had the same sensation and you know feeling of discovery with a new film you know as I as I did the original film so I agree it did give me that similar kind of like it was similar fun vibes because the original super cheesy over the top love the Kong suit in that it just looks so ramshackled and put together and it was so much fun and I feel like they captured a lot of that fun with this new one and that's I hate reading people's like people's reviews saying oh the human plot was dumb like yes have you never seen a Toho yeah. movie before they're all like exactly. that and why, this one wasn't any different yeah why why would you why would you expect anything <laughs> but again you're you're free to expect or anticipate whatever you want, but I don't know what it's based on. You know, I mean, yeah, I think again, it it's, it succeeds at exactly what it set out to do. It exactly. was entertaining. It was escapist. I mean, you know, it wasn't about people coming to terms with things. You know, <laughs> I didn't learn anything about myself in the process of it. You know, it wasn't. I mean, you know, I guess I, I guess everything is a growth opportunity, but in this particular case, it's, it can just be you know, kind of brainless, you know, you can just tune out and watch a film, you know, and enjoy it. Sometimes that's, it should be enough. Exactly. It was just big, dumb fun. And I'm yeah. hoping that it's doing well enough that we'll get more of the monster verse. I'm thoroughly loving it. And I'm excited to see what they do more with it. Bring some of like the smaller Kaiju to the table. Cause I mean, how long has it been since we've seen jet Jaguar on the big screen? I think we're oh, ready yeah. for a new one. <laughs> totally ready. Totally ready. I, uh, um, I'm more of a spectre man. Fan. I'm one wait. I'm all. I'm all ready for the cinematic debut of Spectre Man, but not that I'm not holding my breath. But, uh, <laughs> In time, I mean, it seems like Netflix is picking up a lot of the smaller ones and making them into like anime shows. Like they had the Ultraman show that was okay, but sure. it's still it's keeping the character alive and bringing them back. And I'm all sure. for more more adaptations of kaiju. Like sure. it, it's cool to see that on newer formats. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I um. It would be nice if that, um, I don't know. So there are, talking about, you know, like shows that get picked on streaming and things like that, like, um, and it's, this is not a one-to-one -one comparison, but the new Swamp Thing mm -hmm. is one of those things where it's just like, I really, I, I, it was, the fact that it, it exists is great and, and didn't get any love or, you know, just it was on the wrong, it was on the wrong um, channel or in the wrong hands or, I don't know if it's a, at any rate. I hope that's another thing. I hope it's. I hope somebody else picks it up and runs with it. So I loved that Swamp Thing show, and they shot themselves in the foot with it because they canceled it like the day of it coming out on the on that crappy streaming service. Yeah, because a um, DCU or whatever they called it like fell yeah. apart this past year, yeah. 
and that, that Swamp Thing show was the best thing that they had put out, in my opinion. And then I they, agree. like, those first couple episodes were great. The costume design was good. Derek Mears did a phenomenal job portraying him. The effects were creepy and crawly looking. Like, they did if such a good was, job. I, if there was ever a really good argument to be made, made for the use of CG, something like that, it's perfect as far as I'm concerned. More so than, you know, like mechanical stuff like Transformers and whatnot, again, which all has its place, you know. An audience or whatnot, but I felt like, um, in relation to pushing a property like Swamp Thing ahead, um, that it, all of the you know like it, they had it, they had everything except you know like it, timing. I guess I don't really know you know like so I'm hoping that somebody somewhere sees the that there's you know plenty of meat left on the bone. It's you know it's like anything else. It's 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 the economics. You know it's a uh, and nobody wants to pick up somebody else's property and do the and, and carry on, you know, like it's just not it's not how the game is played, unfortunately. So exactly. Well, here's hoping we have something cool coming out from it. Um, as far as working on projects go, what what are you currently working on? What's new from the Maniac Monsters world? Well, let's see. Um, I have I'm always rolling out new enamel pin designs and uh, stickers and patches and things like that are um it's just a, you know, that's a almost a weekly, bi-weekly event where there'll be new designs or formats of designs rolled out. Um, uh, record slip mats um, have been a nice new format for me. And um, as far as new projects, I've kind of shifted to more sculptural dimensional work, um, just really for my own sanity and to keep things fresh. I recently had a Criswell um, pin design that went pretty well and it's not really in conjunction with it but at the same time I was also um, putting out this uh, plan nine prop um, electrode gum from the uh, or original film um, it's one of those things where it's getting harder and harder to to hit on something that hasn't already been done to death which is it's not a bad it's not a bad problem to have really I mean you know you can get a proper reproduction pretty much anything you can think of. Um, so diving deeper and, 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 and into a, you know, an obscure area that's still bankable, I guess, is still something that would be popular enough to sell a couple dozen of something. Um, the Plan 9 Electro Gun was, was one. Once, once I had ID'd the original kid's toy that they used in the film, I thought, well, this, is, this would be good, you know, like, uh, if the original the original toys are really really expensive for what they are, and I thought if we could if we could do a new reproduction that was just as crappy, but maybe maybe better in some way, um, that would be that would be pushing the ball forward for again the handful of old man fans that you know <laughs> that it might it might appeal to. Um, and I think that I it was it was this the the past couple sculptural projects have been like a have kind of been a group effort where I've been working as a not so much hands-on but like art director and like executive producer. So like I'm the guy who writes the check and I'm the guy who comes up with the idea and maybe does some, you know, like spec drawings and turns it over to like a 3D renderer. You know, we, we've been going with a 3D printing with uh, some of these newer um, projects as opposed to hand sculpting, which is always still an option. Um, but for me, it's an opportunity to kind of learn a new um, skill set. And it's uh, if it's if it, if I can put a product out that's that's affordable 
I mean, I really, that's my, that's my, that's my main kind of, that's my main goal. That's my, that's my focus is not so much being able to do a thing or to get it out in front of people, but like, if you're just the, the average fan, you know, you're a limited budget, you know, um, like myself, um, if I can, if I can make something that cool that, you know, like you can pick up for, you know, 10, 15 bucks or something like that. And, um, you know, that's kind of, that's where I like to be. Um, the prop guns were a little, a little pricier. They were a little kind of more high end. We had a little more R and D time into it, which then equates to a higher ticket price, um, a retail price. The Criswell figures, think of it as a little dashboard glow in the dark, Mary or Jesus or something, not, you know, like a deity rather. And again, it's just fun. Like, uh, I don't know of much of any Criswell swag that's being produced. Uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a contest, but if it were, um, I think right now I would have the market cornered on Criswell property and it's fun for me. And, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's nonsensical. No one needs it. Um, but I like to think that once you see it, you won't know how you've lived without it for so long. Um, <laughs> and, and I can't think of anything more Criswell than to be listed on the same par as a dashboard Mary or Jesus. Exactly. That seems like something he would absolutely love and adore. <laughs> I, think, I, think he, I think he and Eddie would be all over that, 100%. So. Um, and you got to love that the unending legacy of, of Ed Wood in general, but plan nine in particular, being like his crown jewel. It's just, it's lived on for so much longer than I think anyone ever involved in that production would have ever hoped or dreamed that it really agree. did. It was the pinnacle of what he wanted to do. And I think it, I, I love the fact that it's still so beloved. Like I've been on my, my buddy's black and white fright podcast. We talked about that movie. I talked to um, Sandra Nimi, who is Vampire's niece about the, the new book and talked a lot about plan nine. It's just mm. something that keeps coming up and any, any fan conversation about horror or sci-fi, you're always going to want to talking about plan nine at some point in time. Yeah. You know, um, it became fashionable. Exactly. Um, and it became part of the, um, it became part of the, you know, cultural zeitgeist, I think with a, uh, with the Tim Burton film, um, which again set out, it accomplished exactly what it set out to do. Um, I think it's a, it's, it's great. There's so much, there's so much overlap in those properties for me of, of stuff that I love um, that, uh, you know, I was, I hadn't, I guess I really had been looking for an opportunity or an excuse to put out stuff and kind of in conjunction, like a, um, not that I feel like I'm crafting some legacy, but. But, but the stuff that I, I'm putting out in conjunction with, you know, Ed Wood and Chris Wall and um, the Lugosi estate and whatnot, um, it will, it'll be there when I'm gone, which is a, you know, which is a weird thing to think about, but um, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud to, uh, to be associated even, you know, even generally vaguely um, with, with all of these um, properties, films, um, it's just a, I don't know, you know, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting time to be working and doing and producing. You all, you yourself are directly associated with some of the largest licenses and franchises with horror and sci-fi period, end of discussion. That's an amazing thing to have like on your roster, on your legacy. So yes, that is 100% something to be proud of. And it's, you have monster kids like younger monster kids like myself that find new things just going through your work like oh i found this cool pin from a character that i enjoy i'll probably like the rest of the movies and stuff that you make as well so not only are you carrying on the legacy of the classic horror films you're introducing it to a whole new generation of 
younger monster kids like myself. Not that I'm yeah, not yeah. young anymore, but you get it. <laughs> to- completely, totally. And, and I, the, uh, the one thing that I am, that I am, I don't know, I don't know, proud, I guess is how I would look at it. But um, in, in relation to my catalog or my product offerings, I mean, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely not what I think will sell. Um, it's, it's more personally curated. Um, I mean, I carry, I carry a little bit of everything or when it comes to um, licensed projects that I get asked to work on, you know, sometimes they're, they're not things that are, would normally be at the top of my list of things to do. But um, I mean, I'm not agreeing to anything that I don't believe in um, or feel like, you know, yeah, this is, this is oddball, you know, but because nobody else has done it, like uh, um, the Dracula versus Frankenstein, all the Xandor stuff that I did a couple of years ago, like, I was thrilled to be involved with that because, I mean, there's nothing out there. I mean, you've got a couple poster images, and I mean, that's really all anybody has, you know, from a visual perspective. And then, you know, and then I don't think there's any merchandising whatsoever, you know. And so we did some, you know, we did some t-shirt designs and um, a couple other random, you know, kind of like bits and bobs. Um, but for me, it's just like, yeah, this is great. I mean, it deserves to be you know, like expanded upon. And if you're a fan, you know, then you're going to see it and you're going to be like, oh my God, this is awesome. Again, because, you know, like you got the poster and if there's nothing else really in conjunction with it, you know, in terms of, you know, physical, you know, material, then yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm, I feel like I'm just a, you know, like I'm a conduit for that kind of thing. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if I don't, if it's not something that I, I want to, I really, you know, want to work on or I have any love for, you know, like it's not just you know, it, it's not really just a job for me. I want some, I want some level of you know connection, or you know, like I want it to resonate in some way um, that's meaningful. Because I, it'll come through in the artwork. You know, um, if it's not, if it's not something that I'm, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down to work on a project that somebody requested or that I was hired to do, and I, it wasn't something that I was particularly invested in on a creative level, and like it didn't gel, you know, or it would be the kind of thing where I'd work on it and it wouldn't, I couldn't get it where I wanted it to be. So I'd put it aside. I'd walk away from it. I'd come back later and revisit it. Or, you know, like if there's a, you know, whatever, there's exploration with all of you. It's not just, you don't just sit down. It's not like a little keystrokes, you know, and, and it pops out. You know, it's everything I do is still, you know, you know, very analog, particularly in the, in the, you know, in the primary stages. Um, regardless of how it's output or or where it goes, you know, how it's produced um, mechanically. Um, but yeah, it's a, I mean, again, it's a, it's an interesting time to be, you know, to be working in this genre. And, you know, the, the longer I do it, the more interesting people that I meet, um, the more insight that I get, the more kind of like, you know, knowledge I'm acquiring and it's, you know, and it, it's, it's fuel, you know, for the next thing. So. Absolutely. Another common love of ours is horror hosts. And one of my favorite things <laughs> I bought from you was the Spenguli reading the magazine with Frankenstein on it. Magnet. It's one of my absolute favorite pieces. Love Spenguli to pieces. I don't know if you were watching it last night, but my broadcast cut out in the last 10 minutes of it. So we missed the final ending of the incredible shrinking man here. And that ending the, is phenomenal. The sad, the sad irony. I live in central Illinois. Spenaguli is obviously out of Chicago. It's mm-hmm. nationally syndicated now. 
The sad irony is that there it's not broadcast in my in my region, Central what? Illinois. Two, yes, I know. Uh, two and a half hours south of Chicago, you can't pick up the Sun Gulich show. Um, we're the we're probably the second or third biggest market in the state outside of like Chicago, Rockford, maybe Champaign. I'm in Peoria, Illinois, right smack in the center of the state. Um, and you can't pick up the show here. Um, which, you know, I'm sure eventually it'll it'll come back around. I mean, I grew up in the in the 80s during the son of Sun Gulli days. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I guess that would have been when they were on WFLB channel 32. So that's, I mean, that set the you know, that set the hook. We had a couple other minor local um, horror hosts in our area. Um, Acre Creature Feature was another one where it was really just like a aluminum siding and replacement window salesman guy who, <laughs> who had a couple shows that he'd run. And then they had some pre-filmed kind of like skit bits by other by other actors that they kind of like intercut with the show. It was, um, I mean, it was all we had. Um, and it was not what I would consider to be a bona fide like horror hosted show. Um, we've had a couple other ones in the past. Um, unfortunate now to have Lord Bloodbra in this area, um, who I believe is also nationally syndicated. Um, when I was living on the West Coast, when I w- was living in San Francisco, um, after I had moved from Chicago to the West Coast, um, I had the good fortune of m- meeting him and and becoming, you know, social. We're friends now on a, you know, in, in the real world. Um, which is great because uh, I didn't, and I had no knowledge of him being in this area, in my hometown, which I am back in my hometown now in Peoria. Um, but yeah, it's all, I mean, it's a weird, it's a weird serendipity um, that uh, horror, again, this is the, this is the new golden age of horror hosting. Um, and as a kid, you know, like I would have never dreamed that, you know, things would be, things would be so accessible um, as they are, I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, there's, there's, and there are, and there are new, there are new horror hosts every day, um, mm-hmm. broadcasts, streaming. Um, Mr. Lobo and I are buddies, and um, it's a, it's just a, it's a, it's a great time to be, you know, like a schlocky movie <laughs> horror movie fan. It just is. It's just nirvana as far as that goes. So. Absolutely, because there's the bottomless pit of everything that's already existed. There's new stuff coming out literally every single day. And so to have that wide breadth of different horror hosts presenting it and bringing cool information about the production of it to new people, again, just helps to open that door and get more people into being monster kids, into being horror nerds and horror aficionados. Yeah, like, it's, it's just I exciting, mean, all the new stuff that's coming from it. Someone, every every day, someone is seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's great. I mean, some some... You know, like the fact that, you know, Bride of the Monster is, is you know, t- is still creating new fans, you know, like it's it's crazy. Exactly. And I'm, I'm hoping that we get some like newer reproductions of the Ed Wood films. I don't mind having my kind of scuzzy DVD set over there, but every year I fall for it on um, April Fool's Day. Someone will post the Criterion Collection of Ed Wood and I'm like lined up and ready to buy it. But I... <laughs> Yeah. I don't think Criterion will ever stick to that level. But, yeah, no. I mean, depending on what they choose for their own criteria for Criterion films, 
it is influential. It's stuff that is ageless that people still go back to and not necessarily learn from, but develop from and pick new skills from. So I think it does deserve to have that high caliber treatment. I would, I would tend to agree. The, the other, the other side of that is particularly with, with like a Blu-ray re-release of an older film, the extras, you know, like the interviews or any additional, I mean, to me, that's like, that's, you know, I, I would buy, you know, like older DVDs just because they would have a, you know, they'd have an interview or they'd have a commentary that the newer ones don't. I mean, sadly, you know, th- those, so many of those people that are associated with those films are gone. You know, that firsthand account, that firsthand experience is, uh, you know, if it's not recorded, if it's not documented somewhere, um, it just goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, in some tiny way, people like myself, keeping that narrative alive or, I know that when uh, when I vend, if I'm going to a convention and meeting people and networking, and I mean it's great to run into you know the the daughter or the son of so and so, and you know like and then there'll be some kind of like little snippet of information or there'll be a you know there'll be a story or something. And to me, it's just it's it's like you've died and gone to heaven. Um, I'm I'm very appreciative for. Um, for any steward of that, you know, of that culture, um, because once it's gone, it's gone. Um, and I think there are, I think, I mean, there are so many stories left to tell. I, and, and unfortunately now, you know, over the course of the past year with not being able to have, you know, group events, in-person events, conventions, and things of that nature, you know, like I'm, I'm definitely feeling the, the absence of that um, and that, in that interaction, um, that kind of, again, it's like a, it's a fuel, um, and it maintains some, you know, some kind of energy, some momentum for the next thing, whatever the next thing is. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. It's I'm not a. By nature, I'm very introverted, type of guy, but by being out in public and at conventions and things, and you're selling your wares, you know, you have to. The, uh, I mean, it's the, the sales aspect of it, the, you know, the, the marketing aspect of it is just as important, if not more so than anything. So it's a skill set that I've been, you know, I've developed that wasn't natural to me. Um, as a result of that, it's opened up so many new doors because I'm having a conversation with maybe somebody who I would have been, you know, too intimidated by 10, 15, 20 years ago to approach or, you know, to ask a question or, um, again, because we, because the culture is so much more kind of legitimized and I don't want to say normalized, but because it's so much more mainstream and there's so much access to me, it's, uh, it's just invaluable. There's, you know, like it's, you're in control of, 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 you know, how much you, you decide to take in. So. Exactly. I am very much looking forward to conventions being a thing again once we're able to do so safely. I figure with vaccines rolling out now and being more readily accessible that we will hopefully start to see them maybe as soon as this year. I don't know that I'm 100%, even when I'm fully vaccinated, I don't know that I'm going to be fully comfortable going back to those. But it is that social interaction with someone you're going to have an immediate connection with that I miss from 
the convention scene. I'm not a particularly outward going social person either, but I can go to those conventions and say, Hey, that's a cool movie on your shirt. Let's talk about that for like five minutes while we're waiting in this line for so-and-so sure. autograph, or we'll both be searching at a, a booth like yours and find a pin that we can agree on and talk about. And it is just that, it's a really cool way of being able to socially network with something that wasn't particularly mainstream until within the past decade or so, because horror nerds, comic nerds, and sci-fi nerds were just that. They, they were nerds. They weren't the norm. It wasn't acceptable to enjoy that as much. But I feel like for the majority of my childhood, it almost it, be, it was becoming more accessible. Like the, the comic stores were more well-lit and open. You can go and shop in them, and I didn't feel like you were intruding into something you weren't invited to yet. Right. I... By me being here having this conversation with you, it is it is proof positive that you can take, you know, that nerdery and parlay it into something something like a business, something more like I mean, not not that everybody wants to or 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 cares to, but I mean like you can you can make whatever you want out of it. You can take it as far as you want. I mean, I'm just, you know, like essentially. You know, one guy who has just kind of been hammering away at things out of love for the subject matter, you know, consistently for 12 years. And, you know, like I've got a, you know, I've got a nice little, I've got a lot of customers, I've got a nice customer base, I should say. You know, I've got a lot of people who, you know, like I, I mean, I are very supportive. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond flattered and thrilled um, to have such a great response to you know whatever it is that i i put out next or um it's uh it's 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 incredibly gratifying um on a you know on a personal kind of creative level it gets it gets me out of bed in the morning and um i'm and it's nice because you know you got you, you have to kind of have a plan you know like um you've got to have stuff to look forward to or you've got to be able to kind of you know like um you, you know, you, whatever, what's the phrase, you, you know, you miss all of the swings that you don't take. Mm -hmm. um, so in relation to that, you know, like you don't necessarily have to have all, of, I don't feel like I have to have all the answers or have some kind of like, you know, some big strategy for building an empire. Um, but but um, it's nice to know that, I, I mean, like I have, a, I have a, there's a level of confidence that I don't know that I would have normally had on my own had I not kind of put myself out there or done more personal work that I have shared and has, you know, like has been received so well. I've met some, you know, I've met some amazing artists. I've met, I've met, you know, uh, actors and musicians and writers and I mean, just, a, you know, a, a, a other, you know, like directors and other, you know, and other creatives. And it's just, to me, I'm just, you know, I'm still in awe. I'm still the, you know, I'm still the nerdy, you know, fan kid. And um, and to be have for that to be a peer group, you know, for that to be to feel like you're, you know, like it's community, you know, it's like it's a weird, you know, it's a weird thing to feel like oh, like I, this is my tribe, you know, like I, you know, like it shouldn't be so surprising, but you know, like it's only because you know I was a nerdy midwestern kid who spent a lot of time you know, just, you know, drawing in his room or in the library or whatever, um, that, you know, like here, here we are having this conversation and, you know, talking about, you know, what's, what's coming next. It's great to, to have something coming up next is a great, is a great thing. So, 
Absolutely. On the topic of things coming up next, your Dracula medallion has been picked up for distribution by Trick or Treat Studios, which is one of the coolest companies putting out cool horror stuff now. Between their horror masks, their replicas, the figures and busts they started doing this year, I was lucky to get to talk to Sam First, who works for Trick or Treat um, last year, about a lot of the stuff they have coming out. So it's awesome to see your Dracula medallion as part of that. How did that come about? I, I'm I'm I am beyond thrilled to be associated with Trick or Treat Studios and their universal licensing licensing of this particular medallion as a direct result of Sam. Um, we've known each other for several years, and um, I have been I have been home producing uh, this Dracula medallion for for almost ten years. Um, and uh, it came about in a similar kind of way that, that the, the original Maniac kind of revived um, illustrations did, which was the fact that, you know, like somebody somewhere said, you know, like whatever happened to the original prop? We've never, you know, like there's never been any documentation, anything qualifiable that says, you know, like, where it came from, or what, or what was its origin, or what you know, like, does it have any? Did it have any historical significance, or you know, like, it's the background of that particular piece was, you know, was shrouded in mystery. Um, and I think it's a. I had, you know, I had done a little research, and um, I had some, you know, like from a from a a technical or a craftsperson standpoint, it was a no brainer for me. Um, I'm a fine jeweler and sculptor during the day. That's my day job, basically. So to to do a you know a relief carving of a you know of, of that particular piece, it was just a matter of for me you know like having good enough reference and doing a little historical research and finding out that it wasn't really based off of anything you know in military or anything that really doesn't have any historical significance. It was just a something that was probably fabricated by the prop or costuming costuming department or prop department or some combination of that at Universal. It very likely either was lost or stolen during the production of the 1931 Dracula. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a, again, it was just a, just a, the timing of it was just the right thing at the right time. Um, strangely, it already has its own I guess cinematic credibility because uh, the shortly after I finished one of the first of the second versions that I had done was would have been maybe 2008. Um, it was either an art director or a costuming director um, on the movie Vamps by Amy Heckerlin um, reached out to me through uh, internet messaging and said, hey, we're doing a, you know, we're doing this film. And I saw that you, you know, like I'd like to pick up a couple of these. Would it be okay for us to, you know, to use these in our production? Malcolm McDowell is basically playing Vad Tepish in a like a crushed velvet tracksuit. And we thought it would be fun to, to incorporate this in some way. And I, of course I was just, you know, I was just floored. At no, at no point in the, in that in that process had I ever thought it would get, you know, any kind of, you know, that kind of a boost. So that exists on film already its own thing. Um, and then over the, over the course of the next several years, um, I met Bell Lugosi Jr. and I gave him a framed um, copy of one of the first pieces that I had done. Um, so again, this was just one of those kind of like labor of loves 
because nobody else had done it. And I thought, well, you know, like, I can't not do that now that I know that. Um, and uh, not really having any sense of, of any monetary gain to be made. Yeah, I had no idea how even like licensing or anything like that worked at the time. I had just been making, you know, by hand, like a, you know, like an art piece, essentially, you know, a, a, like a, think of it as a, you know, a print edition of some, you know, piece of work. But then, yeah, over, over the years, and just kind of hammering away at it, uh, being an evangelist for all things that are like that, anything in that spirit, I think Sam, oh, they, Sam and Trick or Treat Studios had the license to do a uh, Lugosi Dracula cape reproduction, which is phenomenal. Um, and they, I think that their thinking was to have the medallion and the cape at the same time would be a no-brainer, um, which over the course of a couple of years actually did come to pass. Um, this piece, the medallion piece, is licensed through Universal and not the Lugosi Studios, but it's the end result was basically the same. Um, me, as a fan, first and foremost, just the thought of being able to buy this thing that didn't used to exist, at a Halloween store, you know, for, you know, 25, 30, 35 bucks, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, I mean, it would have been a pipe dream or if anybody was a, you know, diehard fan or, a, you know, however you want to call it, a completionist or, you know, it's just a, it's, there's the, there's the historic part of it that I, that really resonated to me in doing the research um, is, uh, is something that I, that's probably with any project. Um, based on something, you know, from a film or something like that, doing the uh, doing the research and really digging around, I think is is incredibly gratifying for me to the point where getting to the finished piece is almost anticlimactic because then it's you know what then you have to move on to the next thing whatever that is. So, um, but I'm just again I can't stress this enough. Um, I'm beyond thrilled to be. Uh, working with, associated with Trick or Treat Studios, Sam first, um, made all, made that happen. And um, yeah, to have a, to have a licensed universal piece that, you know, like maybe you can get at a theme park or maybe you can get at a, you know, a Halloween outlet type store or something like that. To me, that's, you know, like, it's the icing on the cake. I mean, that's, uh, um, it's pretty fantastic. It is, again, just part of that accessibility and being able to get it. Because for a while, like well before my time getting into horror collectibles and such, the Aurora models and the, those kind of model kits were like the only thing you really could find for it. The mm -hmm. idea of growing up in that era and saying, hey, I want the Dracula amulet. Like, cool, fat chance, make your own. Right. Now it's going to be exactly like you said, readily accessible. I can go into the the Universal Monster Store in, um, in Universal Studios. I can go into Spirit Halloween. I'll be able to pick one up this year. And I'm very excited to walk in and see that because they always give such a cool array of the um, trick-or-treat studio stuff. Same with, if anyone's local and listening to this, going to Salem for the Magic Parlor is a really good distributor for trick-or-treat studio stuff. And I talked to Rob on here earlier about that too. It's it's just going to be cool to have it be all that accessible. Yeah. And I think, again, I can't, I, you know, this is another thing I like to stress where it's, um, it's affordable. It's, it's accessible. It's not some, you know, like hyper, you know, like out of touch, expensive, you know, like limited edition, you know, it's, I'm with 
pretty much everything that I produce. And it, you know, like a fan ought to be able to get a handful of stuff for five or 10 bucks, you know, for me at a show and be just as happy if they spent, you know, five, 10 times that much, you know, like, I think that's, again, coming at it from, you know, a, a pure fan perspective and, you know, like I'm still that, you know, I'm still the eight year old kid, you know, who, who's, you know, who doesn't have a, you know, doesn't have a big budget for stuff like that. That it, it matters to me to, to put out, to put out merchandise or to be associated with merchandise that's put out, you know, at a, at a you know, cost sensitive area, um, I think is, uh, is, you know, it's, it makes me, you know, it makes me feel pretty good. Absolutely. One of the other pieces of uh, replication you were working on as well is the um, amulet from Dr. Fives that we were talking about earlier. How did that come about? It's it's complete and total offshoot from the Dracula medallion where I did a uh, I did the Dracula medallion for for several years and then thought surely there's something like this you know where I can you know I wasn't thinking about building a line of of, of stuff but I you know it, I kind of have it in the back of my mind where these kind of like I don't call it like a costume accessory but it's you know it's a small it's a small prop that can be produced you know, and purchase relatively inexpensively. If you're a diehard fan of something and you want a little, you know, kind of like tchotchke from something, it seems like a, you know, like it's easy to ship. It's got a lot of, you know, it's relatively, you know, straightforward as far as producing something like that. I went from the Dracula medallion to uh, um, uh, Mummy Amulet the, from the Universal Mummy series. There's a reoccurring kind of uh, amulet um, feature that I, it's, you know, the, I'll back up a little bit. With the advent of Blu-ray and clear screen images and being able to, you know, to, to freeze and actually see the detail, you know, really for the first time in, in, a lot of, in a lot of these films, it was a game changer for me. The Mommy Medallion is a perfect example of that because, you know, you could, at last, you could finally grab a, a nice clean image of it um, and you know, and and do a and do a reasonably you know good job of, of duplicating it. That was another piece that I made. Continue to make an offer, um, and it hadn't really been done, at least not on a very large scale before the before that. The mommy medallion, uh, the whatever the curse, the amulet um, of Karis, or however I can't remember what I, how I promoted it, marketed it, but the uh, fives. The, the, the multiple curse amulets from the Dr. Five. I've been a Vincent Price movie fan my entire life as a result of kind of moving in the same circles. A friend of mine, Justin Humphreys, who's a bit of a um, historian, author, uh, he recently wrote a book about um, the production of the Dr. Fives series. And uh, it, you know, one thing led to another. Um, and no one had really made any, uh, it's, again, it's a deep dive, but um, no one had reproduced the multiple um, curse amulets from fives. And I thought, well, this is, you know, again, a no-brainer. It's a relatively simple design. It's just a matter of, you know, sitting down, committing to do it. And, you know, it's something that I enjoy. It, I would, I, it's the type of thing I would buy. You know, I, I'm not really a collector, um, but it's the kind of thing where if I saw it at a show, you know, and it was relatively inexpensive, I'd pick it up. You know, I wouldn't know what to do with it. But it's a, you know, it's a fun little physical, you know, like tchotchke. So yeah, we, uh, I have a, I actually today I just painted up a 
um, one of the one of the prototype poles of the first of a series of the um, curse amulets. Um, and I believe this is the 50th anniversary this year of the first Fives film. Um, so I'd like to be able to start to offer this maybe later in the summer. It's not a license that's really just kind of like considered a fan produced item, but I'm pretty proud of, of how well it's it's come together. And like I said, uh, it'll be, there are multiple uh, designs or curse motifs in the series. So I think I'd like to put out at least, depending on how demand and sales go, um, maybe three different, three different uh, glyphs or you know uh, character symbols but uh, yeah just it's i'm just trying to keep it interesting and fun so excellent well i'm looking forward to seeing those when those come out it's one of my favorite couple of vincent price films those two back to back are always a fun double feature so it'll be cool to have an actual amulet from it because other than your work there's not really like you said there's not a whole lot of merch for it it kind of goes under the wayside there is a surprisingly low amount of Vincent Price merch out there, even just from like a, a figure standpoint. So a huge collector of like action figures and stuff. There were a the couple of like his Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe like dolls. They're more they're more like Barbie dolls. Let's be real. And they made like one pop figure, but other than that, it's hard to find actual good replicas of Vincent Price himself. So it'll be yeah, really you know cool. what's what's crazy when it comes to when it comes to Vincent Price, you know, the the person, the actor. It's a it's a challenging likeness. Particularly dimensionally, I have done multiple paintings, you know, fine art paintings. Um, he's one, actually one of my favorite uh, portrait subjects. But uh, but yeah, um, I mean, you're seeing more shirt designs and things of that nature. But I think when it comes to physical like collectibles, there really aren't a lot of kind of like uh, I don't even really know. Like, it's not his films are not as like accessorized or like prop centric, you know, like as, uh, as a lot of other um, types of films. I mean, it's really, I mean, it's, he's the whole, you know, he's carrying the weight of the whole narrative or, you know, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a, I mean, again, it's, it's a, Fives is a very, it's, it's again, a, a film that I've always really enjoyed since I was young and, you know, it's got the lot of, you know, it's a, it's a little more kind of, it's like a, it's like a live action comic book in so many ways, you know, mm -hmm. which I think it's, it's got crossover appeal as far as that goes. But yeah, no, again, uh, uh, to do, uh, to be able to figure out how to get a, uh, like a prop reproduction um, out and into, you know, the, the hands of fans is very gratifying to me. It even doesn't really even really matter if, <laughs> if I make my money back or anything like that, it's not, it's never a motivating factor, but it's fun for me. Like, I, you know, I'm a fan first and foremost, and I feel like I'm doing it, you know, I'm doing it for, for myself um, more than anything. And, you know, knowing that there's a, you know, a hand, at least a handful of people out there that probably feel the same way, if not more um, enamored of it, um, is really all of the steam I need. So. Well, I'm excited. You already have me signed up as a customer for it. I'll be grabbing one of those as soon as those come out. So I'm looking forward to it. We have been going for a little bit, so we will start to wrap it up. Where can people follow you online? Instagram is probably uh, Maniac Monsters. Um, it's probably where you're most likely to see current and archive work. Uh, I also have a Shopify store, uh, ManiacMonsters.com. Facebook, I'm scaling back my presence there. eBay, I don't really, I, I don't really sell anything on eBay anymore, but 
the, yeah, I'd say the focus is Instagram and Shopify. And I'll give a shout out to um, the uh, Mask Fest Horror Hound folks. Whenever those conventions start up again, um, look for me in Indianapolis. Probably the biggest show that I'm still involved with. There'll be some other QuadCon shows, probably in the Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin area that you might catch me in. I, I'm traveling less to the West Coast than I used to, but very likely I'll be doing a show or two in the Orlando area in the coming years. Just to kind of, I haven't done it on the East Coast either. I've had a lot of people ask me to do a chiller, like it would be a good fit. I've never been, um, but I have, I have quite a few friends and uh, and associates. Cortland Hall from the uh, Witch's Dungeon is also Love a really good place. friend of mine. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of overlap it, when and if I do, decide to do something on the East Coast. Uh, I'd love to. I'd love to bend and, and do a couple shows out there in, in the next year or so. But yeah, check me out on Instagram and Shopify when I've got new and kind of like in progress stuff. It's almost daily. You'll see something from me. So. Excellent. Well, definitely check the show. Uh, definitely check his page out. A lot of great stuff on there. I'll post some of my collection of his stuff when this episode comes out, which will be on Tuesday the 13th, if I have the dates in my head correctly. I think I do. But yeah, definitely give the show, uh, give the page a follow. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Again, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for uh, letting me spread a good word. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you're enjoying this slice of horror Americana, feel free to give it a follow online. You can find me at at SlashningsPod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at SlashningsPod at gmail.com. Send me your horror-haunted roadside attractions or kooky places for me to explore. I'm looking to get out there and find some new stuff. That's all I have for you for this week. I'll be back in two more. Until then, get your vaccination if you qualify, still wear your masks, and keep it creepy.